This episode of Weekend Birda was recorded on the country of the Bunurong Bunurong people and on the countries of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from around Australia. I would like to pay my respect to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your host and fellow birdwatcher, Kirsty Costa. In the last episode, Peter Murphy told us about the awe and wonder he felt when he saw migratory shorebirds landing in the Edith Vale Seaford wetlands. So, friends, I've tracked down Crystal Costaglue. Crystal is an environmental scientist who is passionate about conducting shorebird research in order to help their conservation. Here is how Crystal discovered her love of birdwatching. I've always been interested in the outdoors and I've always loved wildlife. And, you know, as I was growing up, we always had pet birds. Um, We've always had things from budgies through to cockatiels. We had some lovebirds at one stage too. So I was always surrounded by birds. However, it was really during my Bachelor of Environmental Science that I completed at Deakin University, uh, where I really started to learn about just how cool our native bird species are. And then, of course, seeing, you know, the passion through all of my professors and you know in particular one of my professors who was really passionate about our shorebirds it's what inspired me to conduct some more research on them and complete my honours and now PhD project. Crystal has a fascination for all birds but it is shorebirds who have really captured her interest. So shorebirds, I think I kind of just really fell into this species or this group of birds. And I think my one of my professors, the associate professor Mike Weston, he's done many, many years of research on Australian shorebirds and just seeing his passion for these birds. And he just made it seem like such a cool species to work with. And then, you know, once I had one day out in the wetlands and I was able to kind of experience it for myself I just was drawn into their quirky little personalities their you know differences in size and coloration and they were just something a little bit different and I think that's what really drew me into them. So shorebirds are essentially this diverse group of birds and you can usually locate them near a body of water so either by the sea or perhaps some wetlands that are further inland. You may also know shorebirds as waders so they tend to get this name because they have these long legs uh, that help them wade through the water. You'll also find them feeding along the water's edge. So they'll use their bills to probe in the mud or the sand, or they may use them to flip over small shells or rocks. And they're looking for little invertebrates that they can eat. So we have about hundreds of different species and they're found all over the globe. However, in Australia, we have 17 resident species. So these resident species live here all year round and then over our summer months, we are joined by a range of other shorebirds and they migrate down from the northern hemisphere and they come down to enjoy our warm weather over the summer. They like to fatten up and eat all of the nice grub that we have. And then, you know, when our winter and the cold weather starts to come in again, they fly back up north to go back over to the northern hemisphere for the summer and then they will breed again. So those are our migratory shorebird species. And some of these species can fly 
for up to nine days straight, which is just so crazy. So I think the the one that does the nine days straight is the Bartail Godwit. And they essentially fly from Alaska to New Zealand each year with sometimes without a break at all. Uh, and then they do that, you know, a few months later, six months later, they then fly back again. So it's just this continuous cycle of just this endless flying and traveling. It's crazy. <laughs> Recently, a bar-tailed godwit set a world record with a 13,560-kilometre continuous flight from Alaska to Tasmania. Satellite tag data suggested that the five-month-old migratory bird did not stop during its voyage, which took 11 days and one hour. See the notes for this episode if you want to find out more. Crystal did her honours research on something that hasn't been well studied in shorebird science. I was looking at the functions of the embryonic vocalizations in shorebirds. So these are the calls that the chicks produce when they're still within the egg. It's not very well known. It's not very well studied. But, you know, there's been a handful of observations where, you know, people who are working on eggs of these different shorebirds, and yet they're starting to hear calls, even though there's not any cracking on the eggs, or, you know, there's no chicks in sight or no adults in sight. And so it seems that these chicks before they hatch are actually starting to vocalize and starting to communicate. And so we're thinking that this will play an important role in the communication between the parents and their chicks. That sound was Crystal's recording of a 28-day-old masked lapwing chick calling from inside its egg. You probably know mass lapwings well. You might call them spurwing plovers or you might call them one of the noisiest birds in the whole entire world. Crystal studied the chicks of the mass lapwings as part of her honours and then went on to research red cap plovers for her PhD. It was just such a surreal moment when I first heard these calls coming from within the egg. I remember I was approaching a nest and, you know, I'd, I'd been surveying these eggs for quite a while and I was starting to believe that this actually wasn't something that occurred because I'd been visiting all these eggs and not hearing any of these calls. But then all of a sudden, as I was standing near one of these nests, I could hear these chick calls and I was looking around with my binoculars, you know, trying to locate where they were coming from. And then when I looked down and I crouched down next to the nest... I realized that the calls were coming from within the egg. So from that moment on, even though I've heard probably thousands of these calls, it's still just so cool. It never ceases to amaze me how they can produce these beautiful, long, uh, complicated calls, and yet they're not even hatched from the egg yet. Whoa, mind blown. Let's find out more about plovers and what makes them unique. Plovers are a subfamily of shorebirds and they have a range of species that vary in size from, let's say, an adult that probably would fit snug into the palm of your hand. But then there's also some larger body birds. So imagine the size of a magpie or a small chicken. So they have this great varying difference in size. They all seem to have a short, straight bill and you'll find that they feed in this stop and run motion. So you'll see them, you know, running along the water's edge. They'll come to a complete stop. They'll probe the sand or the or the ground with their bill, um, find something to eat. Then they'll stand back upright again, sprint off for a little short sprint, and then stop. So it's really funny to watch them doing it, but that tends to be the way that they like to 
to run around and feed. So another thing about shorebirds is that they are ground nesting. So they actually create a nest on the ground. And so that is quite different to some of the urban birds that you come across in um, your day-to-day life. You know, they lay their eggs in a beautifully constructed nest up in the trees and, you know, away from away from the ground. But shorebirds, they, yeah, they do the opposite. So what they do is actually dig like a little scrape in the bottom of the, of, on the ground. And then they'll also line it with different materials. So they might use things like little shells or small, uh, small branches or some vegetation. And then they lay their eggs within that. So because these eggs are in such an exposed environment, they have a really cool line of defense. So the first being that these eggs are actually quite camouflaged to their surroundings. So if you were walking along, um, you know, by the beach, you would actually find it quite difficult to find one of these nests because the eggs will blend in really well to the sand. And same with the parents as well. And the parents also have a cool defense mechanism, which is a type of display. So it's a distraction display. So this is where they'll pretend that they have a broken wing um, or that they're injured and they'll distract the possible threat and lure them away from where their nest or where their chicks are. And you can see this really great footage where, you know, they've thrown their wings up in the air, they're crouched down on the ground, they're giving off these calls of like, you know, I'm in distress, I'm injured, come follow me. And and really what they're doing is just trying to get this possible threat or this predator away from their chicks or their eggs. And they also pretend that they'll, you know, they'll incubate some eggs or pretend like they're looking after chicks in a location away from where their real nest is. So they really are a smart, you know, a smart bird and they've got some tricks up their sleeve, that's for sure. Through her PhD research, Crystal has become a red cap plover expert. The good news for us birdwatching crew is that the red cap plover is one of the most common and widespread of Australia's beach nesting shorebirds. You might see them anywhere along the Australian coastline or inland, especially around salt lakes. I guess the biggest, um, you know, standout feature on the red cap plover is kind of in their name. The the males have this beautiful red cap on top of their head and the females, you know, like most birds, there is a colour difference between males and females. The males have this beautiful, nice red coloration, whereas the females have, you know, more of a dull red slash brownie colour. Um, so there is that difference. But apart from that, they are quite a small bodied bird. So like when I mentioned the sizes of the size range of shorebirds, the adult red cap plover fits snug into the palm of my hand. So they're really a small bird. And then the chicks as well, they're only a few centimetres tall. So we like to call them little like cotton wool balls on sticks because they're just this tiny cotton wool ball sized bird with two long legs that just stick out from the fluff and they're beautiful to look at and these red cap plovers like I mentioned can be located all across Australia so you'll find them you know along sandy beaches or you know amongst the vegetation so the salt marsh but they're also found inland as well so you know whenever there's a wetland or a body of water you'll generally find them there as well. The differences in the male and female's appearance, which we've learned in previous Weekend Birder episodes is called sexual dimorphism, enables red cap plovers to have very specific incubation periods to look after their eggs. 
During the day, the female sits on the eggs. So, you know, whenever the sun is out, um, the female will be sitting tight on the eggs. And that's because she tends to camouflage into the surroundings quite well. Whereas the brighter, more obvious male who, you know, stands out during the day will actually sit on the eggs throughout the night. Another researcher within my kind of cohort at Deakin actually was researching this kind of phenomenon. And they actually captured some footage of this occurring. And it's pretty much like clockwork or, you know, a changing of the guard. Pretty much, you know, as the sun started to set, it started to become dusk and a little bit dark, the male will come up and approach the female who's sitting on the eggs. They do their little calls. They kind of stand around a bit. The female jumps up and off the eggs, and then the male comes in and sits down. And then the same thing happens again at dawn. Crystal and her team's research was one of the first of its kind. These types of calls haven't been recorded in any shorebirds in Australia. I was just trying to find out, you know, when do these calls occur? Possibly why do they occur? And I found that the calls from, you know, chicks within the eggs for red cap plovers actually begins up to five days before hatching. And then for another resident shorebird species, the masked lapwing, uh, they actually begin up to seven days before hatching. And so for a little bit of context for both of these species, their incubation time, so the total time that they'll be generally sitting on these eggs before hatching, is around one month. So it seems in that late stage of incubation, perhaps up to one week before, you know, hatching occurs, it's going to be this, what we deem the vocalization period. So it's when these chicks are likely to start calling. And we seem to think that these calls are used as a type of communication with parents. So we found that these calls, well, the structure of these calls actually change with temperature. So perhaps, you know, as the temperature cools and the incubation temperatures actually decrease and they're not within this optimal temperature range perhaps they're then going hey mum hey dad like I'm dropping in temp can you please you know sit on me warm me up or perhaps it's the opposite you know I'm too hot you know hop off for a little bit or cool me down please and then it also seems like they may act like an indication that you know these chicks within these eggs are hatching soon and you know the parents may change their behavior and start to get ready to look after chicks you know with red cat plovers and with mass lapwings once these chicks hatch within the hour they're up and running and they're feeding for themselves so they go from sitting quietly on eggs to suddenly having you know up to four chicks running around and having to control them so they have to prepare for it essentially i found that in the case of red cat plovers when these embryonic calls were present, the parents actually increased the intensity of their defensive behaviors. So that's kind of what gave us the indication that perhaps these calls are acting um, as an indicator for hatching because the parents are suddenly going, all right, you know, these eggs are viable, you know, they're going to hatch soon. So I'm going to put in all effort that I can to try and keep them alive. So then I'll have, you know, my offspring and my my kids essentially and, and allow them to get to that hatching stage and not be unfortunately nicked by a luring predator or something like that. Humans change their vocalizations as they grow older. Crystal discovered that the calls of red cat plover chicks change over time as well, from squeaking inside the egg to hatching to being juveniles to being adults. There is still so much to learn about birds, but one thing we do know is that we need to be mindful about where we walk when we are bird watching. If you do like to walk your dog by the beach, make sure to keep it on a leash or, you know, under effective control. Be mindful of where you're walking. 
during the spring slash summer seasons when there may be breeding birds, perhaps don't walk up in the upper section of the beach or within the dunes because that's where they tend to lay their eggs. And the reason for that is because it's out of the way of the water, um, which may be the reason why you might be walking up there as well. So it's always good to just be aware of your surroundings. And I know with another species of plover as well, the hooded plover, along some of the beaches, at least in you know Victoria and, and South Australia, uh, they actually have signs put up to you know let you know if there's a nest nearby or if there may be a nest nearby and they'll actually fence off areas of the beach as well so please take note of those and obey you know what we're asking you to do please crystal has been bird watching and bird sciencing yes that's a new verb that i just made up for many years here is her advice about watching shorebirds like red cap plovers Well, I'm sure this kind of advice is what you might get for just bird watching in general. These are wild birds. Most of the time, they're not really used to human interactions, so they're pretty flighty. Uh, You probably won't be able to get too close. But I suppose the key is to be persistent. So, you know, pick a spot where you're comfortable, plonk yourself down. I like to kind of, you know, lay up, you know, in the dune somewhere and just have my binos or my binoculars next to me and then just wait for the birds to come to you. With shorebirds, they're generally feeding most of the time. So they'll be along the water's edge, you know, running around, feeding along with the waves. If they're not there, they might be sitting in a big group. So they'll probably be roosting, which is essentially just means they're all sitting together in a big group. Uh, so you might be able to see them as well there. And, you know, if you don't want to go out with by yourself, there's always bird watching groups that you can join. Or, you know, there's things like BirdLife Australia or the Victorian Wader Study Group. And they're always more than happy to have new people join and to tag along because really they just want to share their knowledge as well so they're a great you know group of people to go out with and and you'll learn a heap by joining along with some of these different groups as well. Crystal recommends two great guides for identifying and finding out about shorebirds. I've listed the resources in the episode notes for you. The first one is a shorebird identification booklet that was written and created by BirdLife Australia. I think I was given this back when I was starting to to look at shorebirds and I was trying to identify the different species that they are because unfortunately a lot of shorebirds actually look pretty similar, particularly the the migratory species. They come down here and they're in their what we call the non-breeding plumage. So generally with some of these species they'll actually have different colorations in their feathers, you know, when they're breeding and when they're not breeding. And so when they come down here for their non-breeding season, they all kind of look the same. So this little booklet has some really great diagrams um, and some great information, and it's really quite small and compact. So I still hold it on me every time I'm out in the field. Well, actually, I keep it in my car (laughs) and I keep my binoculars in my car too. So, you know, whenever I'm perhaps near a beach and I see something, I can always whip it out. I can always whip my binoculars out as well. Um, So I'm always ready to go and ready to identify something and the second one that I've listed is actually an app for you know your phone so it's a field guide to Victorian fauna and it's created by Museums Victoria and so this is a really handy app that kind of gives you the most common species for Victoria and it's not just birds but it gives you pretty much everything from invertebrates to you know a range of different marine species and some your mammals 
schools as well. So there's actually one available for, I believe, each state in Australia as well. I don't think you need internet to access it actually, which is really handy as well. When you're somewhere out in the bush and you know you don't have reception, you can always access them. And with this particular app, they use photos as well. So you know the coloration is always going to be spot on. And for some species of birds as well, they actually have some calls. So that's come in handy quite a few times as well. I also recommend BirdLife's The Shorebirds Wing Thing Educational Brochure. It's designed for kids, but personally, I found it really helpful as a beginner bird watcher. I hope you enjoyed learning about shorebirds and red cap plovers as much as I did. Many thanks to Crystal Costaglue for taking the time to chat with us. You can connect with Crystal and the rest of the Weekend Birder community on your favourite social media platform. Our handle is at birderpod. And you can also find the links on our website at weekendbirder.com.